0: Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A.
1: What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. As always, I am your host, Matty A excited to have you tuning in for my amazing guest, Mr. Adam Carroll. This is somebody that I have been working on getting on the show for quite some time. He is somebody that not only is he just a badass in terms of how he's gone about building wealth. When you talk about the whole life millionaire, somebody that lives like a millionaire in all areas of their life and not just in their bank account, he is that. Um, But he has really made it. His mission to go out and truly help people unlock financial freedom and we're going to be talking about the specific method that he has created that really is unlike anything else out there so you're definitely not going to want to miss today's episode but if you're new to the show be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode of millionaire mindcast if you are new and you haven't said what up to me shoot me a text at 844-447-1555 and as you guys know. Uh, If you want to get more connected to the community, making our Millionaire Mindcast fam more connected, we are creating events that you guys can come and actually hang out with us, with me, with other individuals in our community. We've got our Wine and Wealth Building Meetup, our first one in Napa Valley coming up here in September. If you want more information on that, just text the word Napa to 844-447-1555. And I'm really excited about doing my very first mastermind event in Lake Tahoe, three nights, four days. We're going to be doing a tour of Tahoe, checking out all of my different hotels up there, pulling back the curtain on those investments, my investing business. And the beautiful thing is we're going to have some amazing speakers and other high net worth accredited investors, big business builders at that event as well, you guys. So if that's something of interest to you and you want more information on that, just text the word Tahoe. To 844 447 1555. Before we dig into today's guests, just know that all of the links, all the resources, everything that Adam and myself talk about today will be at millionermindcast.com on Adam's episode in the show notes. So don't forget to check that out. But today, Adam Carroll, he is a financial literacy expert. Um, he's been a mentor to many of my peers and friends that have unlocked massive financial freedom that I know. And he's the founder of the Shred Method. He's got a TED Talk with over 5 million views. He created a really cool documentary that was featured on CNBC that went viral called Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, uh, which was really a documentary around finances and financial freedom. And this is somebody that has literally made it their life's journey to serve other people in creating financial freedom. Um, We talked about in this particular episode how you can break free of this banker's business model, this game that ultimately we have been, many of us, pawns of our entire life and never really break free of, and how you can unlock financial freedom by understanding that game and using some of the strategies that he talks about in today's episode. He's just got a really cool journey. Um, We talked about the four legacies of financial freedom in a way that I've never heard somebody actually succinctly communicate what financial freedom can do for you and the emotion that those different legacies create and the purpose and intention that you can use by understanding what those legacies are, how to make your home an asset versus a liability. I loved this part of the episode that I know you guys are going to really enjoy. We also talked about how to get debt free in three to five years and really breaking down what The Shred Method is. There's gonna be a ton of strategy, tactical information that you can take away from this episode, so I'm really excited. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. If you get any value whatsoever from Adam, from this episode in general, all I ask, tag us, share us on social media, leave us a five-star review in iTunes. It means the world to us. And with that being said, let's not waste any more time. Let's dig into today's episode with Mr. Adam Carol, right after this quick message from today's show sponsors. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer For a 60-day free trial, let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash Mindcast and get started. I'm excited to welcome you to the show today, Mr. Adam Carroll. How are we doing, brother?
0: Maddie A in the flesh. I'm so excited to be on your show, man. This is awesome.
1: Dude, it's been uh it's been a long time coming. You know, we we run in very similar circles. We've got a ton of friends and and mentors and mentees and peers and all kinds of uh, you know, overlap in terms of our journey. And I know we're both obsessed with um how to bring value to other people in totally. terms of building wealth, unlocking financial freedom, creating financial literacy. So I just want to throw it right back at you, man. Thank you for coming on the show today.
0: Man, I'm so excited. This pond is small. You know what I mean? Like it is. When you start realizing who is running in the circles that we run in.
1: Um, they overlap a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. At least the good people, right? I feel like, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of people that are always trying to, you know, make a quick buck and, you know, do something, whether it's selling education or it's, you know, talking out of their uh, you know, you know what in terms of just trying to get that attention. But I mean, this is something that you've been doing for for a long time, even way before I got into it. You know, Diego uh, Corzo, who's actually, funny enough, one of our most downloaded episodes still. The DACA, The Dreamer. Yeah. Uh, One of the most downloaded episodes of, because he has that big audience and and followership of, you know, people that are dreamers and want to build wealth. Um, And so one of our most downloaded episodes, but Diego and I started our wealth building journey, gosh, over a decade ago together, you know, ground zero um, and seeing what he's done and accomplished is amazing. But he had always talked about this dude, Adam Carroll, who's my mentor, who's (laughs) my mentor. Um, So it's great to, you know, connect with you. And I'm curious, where did your wealth building journey start? Take us back to Kind of when that ignited within you
0: yeah I think I was a kid candidly Matt when I when I first realized that I loved the idea of making money and entrepreneurship and it wasn't I don't know that I was driven by money so much looking back as it was the idea of building a product or an idea in a business and then trying to make it work um, but I when I graduated from college I was a debt statistic and I had I had lived like a rich college kid and then quickly became a broke professional. And it was bad. Like I, I remember, uh, I'd get my credit card statement. I'd think, what the hell did I just do? What did I get myself into? But I couldn't make the connection to the fact that I knew I needed to have money in my bank account. So I would leave it there and use my credit card. And it wasn't until I, I, you know, I met my wife, my future wife, and she was like, dude, get rid of your debt or I'm going to get rid of you. <laughs> and and I started figuring things out. And it was between about 24 and 26 when I read probably 120 books on personal finance. And it was just, I got so wrapped up in it. You know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the cash flow Quadrant, Think and Grow Rich, and The Wealthy Barber, and on and on and on, How to Be a Billionaire. I mean, I read all sorts of books, anything i get my hands on. And I realized that if I started applying one idea out of those books... I was probably making a giant leap ahead of where even my peers would be. Yeah. Um, And and we just started to see great financial success in time. So
1: what what were some of the early ah ahas that made the biggest difference for you at the beginning, right? For the people that are kind of just starting that journey, you know, there's so many things I got to do to go and, you know, unlock that level of financial freedom, but if you were to boil it down to now looking back in hindsight, just a couple, one or two things yeah. that if you could just do those things starting out would yes. make a big difference and put you on the right path.
0: You know, there was a conversation that I had with a, a speaker. Actually, it wasn't a speaker. It was an attendee at a conference that I I went to. And um, the guy was a, uh, he, he was a software engineer of sorts. But at this conference, he had like a rumpled button down shirt and wrinkled jeans and his name coincidentally was Matt, but he had like a self-written name tag on, and it was Matt in all lowercase letters, which I guess I judged somehow. I'm like, <laughs> I was going to say, even I'm initial. like, <laughs> I don't know
1: yeah. what's going on with that, dude. You got to capitalize your own yeah, name.
0: right, right. <laughs> so he, at one point, the leader of the conference said, hey, stand up and give a credibility statement. We want to know why we should listen to you. And so Matt raises his hand, and I'm like, oh, this ought to be good. And Matt stands up, and he said, my name is Matt. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I sold my first software company for $14 million. And then he sat down. And this guy was probably 32. And I lean over and I go, dude, can I buy you lunch? Like, I need to know
1: everything. And so- You earned lunch. the right to have a lowercase name, right? It, totally,
0: <laughs> totally. I realized that the, the cap was or the lowercase was humility. He was you gotta so love it. Key. He was so yeah. lucky. And he goes, what do you want to know? And I said, tell me everything. He said, well, first of all, I got that the 14 million probably piqued your interest, right? And I said, it did. He goes, what are you after? And I said, well, financial freedom, right? Like that's what everybody's after. And he goes, yeah, but what is it about financial freedom that you really want? You know, dig deeper, double click on it. What is it? And I go, I guess I want time. Like I I want to buy my time back. And he goes, okay, so financial freedom leads to time freedom. Because if you you have a lot of money, you can create time. You can buy your time back. But what do you want time for? And I was like, well, my grandparents are aging. I want to spend time with them. I eventually want to have a family. I like to spend a ton of time with my kids. He goes, so time freedom creates relationship freedom. Mm. And if you have time, then you build relationships with people. But he goes, what do you want in the relationships? What is it about? And it took me a while to get there, but we got to serving people, right? And I heard a speaker say one time, Matt, we're not put, put on this earth to be employed. We're put on this earth to be deployed. And deep deployment, our deployment is our service to humanity. It's your podcast. It's videos you do, training, syndications. For me, it's the documentary and the TED Talk and teaching people how to get out of debt. And uh, he goes, what you really want is service freedom, the ability to be of service to other people, but build great relationships, have lots of time and never worry about money. And in that moment, what I re- he called it the four legacies. These are the four legacies that we leave to future generations. And the takeaway for me was that, number one, I had to make my time more valuable because we only have a certain amount of time throughout the day or the week, right? right. And the best way for me to do that at the time was to professionally speak because I could make good money per hour. Like I could make as much money in an hour as some people make in a month. Yep. And I need to do more of that so that I could then put that money to work for me to make more money, to create more time, freedom, and relationship freedom and service freedom. So for those out there, one of the things that I would suggest to you is if I knew then what I know now, I would devote my time, energy, and attention to making my time as valuable as humanly possible. Because when you do that, it expands the amount of time that you have to learn, to grow, to develop, to help other people make great relationships and so on.
1: I love that. That's a great way to, I think, kick off the foundational conversation around the mindset necessary for unlocking what most people may not know that's what they really want, right? Yeah. Yeah. But giving that purpose and intention to why you're doing what you're doing helps create strategy and paths a little bit more intentionally, right? Totally. Totally. And as you started going down this journey yourself, you started generating more income. Then you started to do what as the value of your time became more valuable?
0: I started to look intently at uh, life versus lifestyle. There was a ton about lifestyle design, mm. right? When Tim Ferriss started writing about lifestyle design. And I was I was kind of uh, caught in this conundrum because... I was telling people to build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. And what I meant by lifestyle was the stuff. Yeah. The house, the cars, the, you know, the luxury goods, dining out. If you're spending a, a boatload of cash, you got to be making a boatload plus in order to live that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I started wondering: hey, if people really want financial freedom, then what we have to do is we have to make X, but we have to live on X minus Y. And why? However big why is determines your life. How big your life is, because as an example, you know if I work for an hour and I make thirty five hundred to five grand to do a speaking gig somewhere for an association, right? That's enough money for me to live on for the entire month. Um, And we figured out how to. I don't mean to boast or brag or be a big shot about this, but we figured out how to how to function in our finances. Family of five living very, very comfortably on about $3,500 a month. That's amazing. So when you do that, and this is what I taught Diego early on, you'll hear him say, build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. Diego was financially free in his 20s. He was making more money passively than he had in expenses. And when you do that, man, work is optional. Yep. And for a lot of people, they're like, but I want this and I want this and I want this. Cool, have all that. But wait to have all that until you're making X plus so that you can afford it and still have financial freedom, time freedom, relationship freedom, and service freedom.
1: And so as, well, first, before we move on, can you break down a little bit of how you were able to, because most people might go 35, and mind you, that was maybe a handful of years ago when inflation was, you know, 9.1%, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Really, but, how, but how how can someone get a grasp on, how can I still have a cool lifestyle? Yeah but live within my means, because I've been doing this for a long time myself of, you know, when my friends are buying boats and cars and doing all of these crazy things, I'm taking as much of my disposable income and packing it into investments and opportunities that now, you know, it didn't feel sexy at the time. But when you look up a decade later, you're like, whoa, okay, that that actually was a very smart decision, right? Totally. Two comments later. Right. Yeah. Two <laughs> commas later. Exactly. So, how how can someone go about auditing, maybe yeah. their lifestyle, their finances, and you know, create a plan that still allows them to have some yep. enjoyment in what they're doing for sure, but also you know, being purposeful, intentional about the long term game that we're playing here yep. of unlocking real wealth and financial freedom.
0: Yeah. So the t- the way to do this audit, I think. Uh, I'll go back a step. And I think this is going to lead into what our conversation will be in terms of designing this and debt payoff and structuring your equity and your debt. Well, um, there's a book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. Mm, great one book. of the
1: best. 7%. That was probably one of my first books that I think really opened my mind to totally. living below your means, but also Definitely. you know still having a great lifestyle.
0: Yes. And have you ever seen him present in person? I have. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. True or true?
1: Yes or yes. Yes. He's just like he's he's a phenomenal speaker.
0: Brilliant dude, right? Yeah. So I read the book, read it over and over again. And one of the things that I gleaned from it was if you want to change the fruits, you must first change the roots. Mm. So he he would say, if you're if the tree of your life is producing apples and you want it to produce oranges, you have to change the roots of the tree in order to change the fruits of the tree. And so to, to bring that into perspective about how do people do an audit, we may have grown up hearing things like, well, I'll always have a car payment. I'll always have a mortgage payment. I'll always use credit cards. I'll always, you know, this is the kind of messaging that we got. It's and part of the reason I got, I was $8,000 in credit card debt at the end of my college career. And the only thing I had to show for it was a big screen TV, which was like 37 inches probably at the time, with a massive like CRT. <laughs> probably weighed TV. like 400 pounds. Oh, stupid. Just stupid. <laughs> and then uh, and a pair of boots, like chaka boots from J. Crew. That was all I had. Could not show where any of it went. I spent the majority of it at a place called Shag Nasties on my college <laughs> campus. <laughs> it was Shags for short. It was part of the Barmuda Triangle. It was very classy. And so what I, but what I saw growing up and I heard and the conditioning I had was, well, if you want it, we'll just get it. We'll figure it out. And I watched my parents swipe a credit card to get the things that we wanted. And I got to college and I did the exact same thing. And then I started really questioning, how do I want to live my life in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond? Um, And what do I have to do differently in order to have that lifestyle? And so I started getting really. Granular about what my my mental chatter was like. Well, will always have a car payment, and I started questioning first, like, well, what if you don't have a car payment? What what would you do with an extra three fifty or four fifty a month? How would that change things? And then once you do that, and I learned about the debt snowball and the debt, debt avalanche, and what it means to to really play the the interest rate game and the amortization table game with your debt, and I realized that I could actually. I could eliminate my student loans, I could eliminate my car loans, I could eliminate all consumer debt. And by the time I was 26, I had about 3500 extra dollars in discretionary money. And that that's a lot. When you're 26 and you got an extra 42 grand a year, you feel like a millionaire. Yeah. And we started learning we could invest intelligently and we started out the way everyone does, right? In the market, we were looking for Uh, some real estate deals. Then I got turned on to alternative investments and I was introduced to syndications, uh, intellectual property plays, uh, being a lender for some people, right? There's just so many ways to make money. Right. But the only way to make money is to have money to put to work. Right. And so I started, uh, my wife and I were looking at how much do we make and how much of what we make can we keep? Because that truly is what wins the money game, right? It's not how much you make. It's how much of what you make you keep and put to work for you. So we started getting really aggressive about paying off debt and figuring out how could we minimize our lifestyle. And this is kind of the magic piece, uh, Mattie a., and you'll appreciate this. So we live in a 5,200-square-foot home in West Des Moines. Um, it's a beautiful house, five-bedroom, five-bath. Like We love the neighborhood we're in. We'll probably always have this house. I have paid this house off twice in the last eight years. Okay. And the last time I refinanced, I borrowed about $250,000 and I put it into investments. We put it into syndications and real estate deals. And my payment on this house is about eight and a quarter, $825 a month. So I want you to think about this. How many people are renting an apartment for 1500 or 2000 or 2,500 bucks a month somewhere? One bedroom. We, one bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. And we live in a 5,200 square foot, beautiful home for 820 a month, of which 100% of the payment is covered by the cash flow we have coming in from our investments. It's a beautiful thing. So when we talk about how do we live on that amount, our mortgage is 825, we have no car payments. Um, 529s are fully funded. And we put money in Roth IRAs, but we do it twice a year. And we do it right out of a home equity line of credit because it's just like boom, boom. So there is no monthly payment. Yeah and we've just figured out a way to engineer our finances where they're they're super low on a monthly basis so that our cash flow is greater and greater the more money we make and there's a there's this idea known as parkinson's law that says your 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 expenses will always rise to meet income unless you're consciously choosing not to yeah so we know that we might make x amount but we're always going to spend a little you know significantly less than that my goal is to always live on about somewhere between 15 and 20% of what we make on a monthly basis. And the rest is all being deployed into future uh, wealth building, equity, and and cash flow deals.
1: So I know we're going to dig into that here in a quick second and discuss how you paid down your debt, how you created more discretionary income, and how what you call the shred method really can unlock financial freedom for people in the next three to five years. And one of the things we always talk about on the show is, you know, wealth building is wealth is made in the crock pot, not the microwave, right? So to some people, that three to five year plan is like, Ooh, you know, like, they're like, I want it in like a month, man. Give me the silver bullet. Right. Totally. But at the end of the day, the good stuff is always created in the crock pot. And so that mindset of three to five years is really not that long you right. know when we're talking about the timeline of your life totally. and and creating amazing things and unlo- unlocking you know awesome stuff that most people never get to enjoy at any stage of their life yep but you you you've said something a couple of times that i think is really important and to get your perspective on it because i think a lot of people have this misalignment in their life that ultimately prevents them from Creating financial freedom. And that is the alignment of your partner mm-hmm. being on the same page financially with you. Totally. totally. Can you tell me how you and your wife have approached, you know, maybe where there were early disconnects or there was turbulence or how you guys have found the synergies of both of your financial personalities yeah. coming together to create a common goal that both of you get to enjoy and share now?
0: You nailed it too. This is a huge deal for most of our clients. Is they'll say, "How do I get my spouse on board?" And when I ask them, "Is this is this a fundamental challenge for you that your your partner is not on board with you and your your wealth building?" And they'll say, "Well, typically, and this is kind of a broad brush statement, Matt, but but it has to do with their risk profile and the way they were raised growing up." Right. Right. So my wife was uh, she was raised in a house that. They didn't buy stuff unless it was on sale and they had a coupon, right? Super saver family, but not, not a high-income earning family. And they made the best use of their money they possibly could. I was raised in what I thought was an affluent or mass affluent family. We were not. We were like super middle class, maybe even lower middle class for the most part. But there was borrowed money that was being used to upscale our lifestyle. And so when my wife and I came together, we, we came from two very different paths um, like I, the, one of the jokes I tell on stage is I took her to Applebee's for our very first date, and the bill comes, and I'm like, Hey, I, I invited you. Let me take the bill, you know? And she starts reaching for a person. She's like, I'd like to help. And I go, No, 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 don't be silly. I invited you. It's a date. You know, I want to be a gentleman here. She's like, No, 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 don't be silly. I'm going to help. And she pulls out a buy one, get one coupon. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> accept your coupon. And she's like, don't be stupid. It's $12. Like, this is ridiculous. You're going to save 12 bucks. And, you know, now we go out to eat. And she starts reaching for a coupon book. And I'm like, baby, you're so sexy when you do that. I can't <laughs> and talk dirty to me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, that, may, that might be my new, my new punch, like Talk coupon to me.
1: Yeah, talk <laughs> coupon to me, girl.
0: Let's go. So we were very different. But I'll tell you one of the things that got us on the same page. Two things, actually. One was we read Smart Couples Finish Rich by David Bach. Mm. And that book, when you go chapter by chapter, it forces you to get on the same page as your partner. And I think one of the saddest things that I've ever seen is when a partner dies prematurely and they've done all the financial decision-making and the other one's left holding a bag, they have no idea what's in it, how to find it, where to go, where they stand. And I think that's one of the saddest things we could do to our family members. Yeah. So so for us, we know where all documentation is. We know our goals, we know our priorities. Um, one of the things, and this is a big one for partners, is because of the way we're both raised and I think to a certain extent, our gender, I think men generally have a little bit higher risk tolerance and women have a little bit lower risk tolerance, generally yeah. speaking. So if your, if your wife has in mind she needs... $30,000 in a money market account at all times. And you're like, yo, we're good with two grand. I mean, trust me on this, right? There is always going to be financial friction, always, because she is feeling like we don't have enough. And you're feeling like, oh my God, how much more do we need? So you've got to get on the same page and come to a happy medium on that or figure out some way. And the shred method does it, in my opinion, but figure out some way to create the safety net. And maybe even two safety nets deep that allow your spouse to sleep comfortably, be like, whatever you do, I'm fine because I know we're taken care of. Yeah. And that's where we're at. Like my wife, she knows what I'm doing. She knows the plan, the vision. She, we run the numbers together, but she sleeps comfortably at night knowing that, that, you know, I have a firm hand on the steering wheel and she also knows where we're going.
1: I call that the swan effect is sleeping well at night, knowing that you guys have, whether it's the reserves, whether it's the plan, the vision, ideally all of those things in alignment on the same page, collectively working towards, you know, the the common goal of what your finances, you know, what you want them to do for you. And do you guys have what do, what do your financial rhythms look like? You know, is it a financial Friday once a month? You guys go through things? Like what does that rhythm itinerary agenda look yeah. like? Just so people can maybe get an idea of how yeah. to model that in their own household.
0: We did money dates for a very long time where we would go through and and track account balances and I have a net worth statement I run. Uh typically once a month, sometimes even more just to get giddy. <laughs> guys are weird that way sometimes. And maybe people, maybe women are too. I certainly know that there's a group of friends and I that we're constantly in the number. But part of the reason I think we do that is because it, it may inspire us to hit the next, the next level. Yep. Um, and also it's like reaffirming that we're doing the right thing in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did money dates for a long time when we were in our debt payoff journey early, early on in our marriage it was on the refrigerator and we'd get out the Sharpie and we would put our big red line across the debt that we just knocked out and we'd get excited about it. And instead of drinking three buck Chuck, we'd go get a $12 bottle of wine and sell it. Um, So we, we were on the same page and have been for a long time. And she'll call me on things like, this feels risky or this doesn't feel like a safe deal. And I basically then have to prove that there's been due diligence done and you know, we are taking a risk, but it's a, it's an X percent return on this deal that we are going to feel some risk.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I want to make sure we get to talk about the shred method. And before we dig into the shred method, you know, for a lot of people, there are many different, um, I think ideologies around debt, Yep, some good debt, some bad debt, give us a little context to your um, interpretation of what good and bad debt is and when leveraging good debt versus getting out of bad debt should be approached. Yep.
0: You know, I spent the first two, certainly two years of our marriage getting out of bad debt, what I would consider bad debt. And candidly, Matt, that was like, Definitely credit cards, any kind of consumer debt that we had, we ended up getting out of our car loans at that point in time. And I think that's one that some people would say, well, I don't know, I'm okay with a car loan. The reality is that, um, and for for context, we typically buy cars that are somewhere between three and six years old. Um, And I really, really like finding, like for me, this is a bit of a game, but I love finding German-made luxury automobiles that have sat in some elderly person's garage for six yep. years. Yeah.
1: Perfect so mint leather condition.
0: Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I was a big fan of Audi. So I bought an Audi Q5 that had, it was like six years old. And it had 40,000 miles on it. It's just a beautiful car. It drives well. I love it. I have fun in the winter time in the snow and ice with the all wheel drive. <laughs> and, and I got a great deal on it. So I find those deals knowing that I'm not going to have a car payment and I'm probably going to keep it long enough that it'll still have value when I do go to sell it or trade it in. So that's kind of the context of how we do cars too. Got it. Um, as far as good debt, I'm a believer in leverage, you know, like I'm, I'm all about if we're buying real estate or we're buying into a deal and it makes sense to invest debt in order to buy that by all means, let's do it. Um, I think what I'm more Uh, what I'm more inclined to do is make sure that I can afford whatever those payments are Mm -hmm. given a worst case scenario. Right. So if we get a tremendous market decline and I mean, occupancy rates go way, way down to what level do we go before I start sweating? Can I swing the payment? And the good news is that even in using this method, that number gets bigger and bigger. How much can we, can we tolerate? And, when you're just using the law of averages, think like shit would have to get seriously bad mm-hmm. before worst case scenarios kick in. Yeah. And so, so you know, as far as good debt goes, I'm a fan. I'm not a, a Dave Ramseyite in that respect. Um, and a lot of people will say, oh, what do you think of Dave? And I candidly will say, he's a great on-road and on-ramp to financial literacy.
1: Mm-hmm. He's,
0: he's introduced financial literacy to a lot of people. However, the advice he gives is one size fits all, and yeah. personal finance is very personal. So it's hard to say, oh, you need to do this. When, well, tell me your upbringing, and tell me your risk profile, and tell me what your cash flow looks like, and tell me what you do for a living, and what your educational background is, and then we can start crafting your financial plan based on that, and we can talk about how much debt is probably appropriate for you.
1: Yeah. I Going back to Dave Ramsey real quick, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Dave, Dave Ramsey and the perspective of, like you said, he has opened people's eyes and mindset to their weaknesses and the overall generality of most humans suck at finances. Yeah. yeah. And so his approach is, let me help you not suck and be good, but he doesn't create the roadmap. Or have the narrative around how do we create and unlock great finances for you. Truly, truly. And so I think one of the things that I'm excited to talk here about the Shred Method is this allows people to unlock great Financial futures for themselves—not just good, not just staying out of debt, not just having enough, you know, to retire on, but to unlock real impact. Unlock, like as you said, right? Going back to kind of the four legacies of the time freedom, the relationship freedom, the service freedom. Dave Ramsey isn't really doing it at that level, and so while I love and respect what he's doing, I'm always very curious in other methods and um, ideologies around unlocking that level of financial freedom. and tell us what tell us a little bit more what is the shred method are you interested in boosting your income by an extra fifty thousand dollars this year if so you're going to love what i've got in store for you i am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors
0: Put simply, is a way to use your existing income in a way more efficient manner to blast away compound interest debt. And, um, and for most people, Matt, we can show them how to be debt-free in somewhere between three and five years. And it's dependent on your income, your expenses, your discretionary income, and your overall debt load. But when, when we originally share this with folks for the very first time, it's typically like showing the caveman fire because they, they, they can't even believe that something like this exists and they haven't been shown it before. Um, the reason for it is we're, we're taught to live in a banker's business model. Mm. So we go to the bank and we say, I want to buy a car or a home or a rental property. And they go, okay, well, how much do you want to borrow? And we give them the number. It's at this interest rate, at this payment, every single month. And we dutifully pay it. And we never really question, am I doing the most efficient thing with my money? We just pay the debt. And... It really occurred to me, I was in the mortgage business for five years. And I would have, I had dozens and dozens of clients who would refinance their mortgage about every two years' time. For whatever reason, they'd call, uh, I need to, you know, get some debt wrapped up, or I, you know, my house increased in value. I'm gonna take out a little bit. We're gonna go on vacation. And you know what happens when you refinance a loan, right? You reset the clock. Yep. So we reset the clock back to 30 years. And for most people out there, if if you've ever taken a look at the truth in lending disclosure, when you sign uh, your mortgage paperwork, we always used to tell people, this is just the government's way of depressing you. So just sign it. Don't worry. You won't be in the home that long. You'll never pay. You know, On a $300,000 note, it might be like $275,000 in interest. And today, if we're at 6% or 6.5% mortgage rates... You know, a $300,000 deal will cost you $300,000, $350,000 350 maybe in interest over 30 years' time. So you buy a house for three you'll pay six fifty. dollars And what most people don't realize is the majority of your interest is charged on the front end of that loan. That's how compound interest works. However, if you leverage some of the equity in your home, and you do that by gaining a home equity line of credit against your property, and you send in lump sums from the HELOC to the mortgage, you will lop gigantic chunks of your mortgage off over time. And what you do in the process, you save yourself tens, in most cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars of mortgage interest, all the while unlocking more and more equity in that home. And so there's there's really a couple of reasons why people do this, Matt. Number one, we get people who are just like, I just want to be completely debt-free. And they're like a dog with a bone. They just want to have it all done, right? These would be some people who are kind of more of the Dave Ramsey philosophy of just be debt-free and live debt-free forever. Yep. And we'll show them how to do it. That's one, that's one group. The second group are people who are a little more savvy from an investment standpoint. And they say, okay, well, what do I do with the equity? Now that I have all this equity in my property, there is no real internal rate of return, whether you owe 10% or 90%. The place is going to appreciate what it appreciates, right? So if you have two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in equity in a property, what would happen if you had access to a hundred or two hundred grand at a time and you deployed that into an investment that was making eight, nine, 10%, 12% month, you know, yearly, but paid monthly or quarterly? Um, how quickly could you build wealth or build what we would call massive, passive permanent streams of income? And so I start to look at a home where some people would say, oh, your home's a liability, it's not an asset. We are truly making your home an asset and we're doing it in record time. And the way we do that is we game the banking system by using the bank's money against itself.
1: So let's talk about that for a quick second in terms of, let's say somebody has, I mean, now more than ever, people got you know the real estate, Homeowner has more equity than in the history of the housing market. Yep. So I've got a house. I've got, you know, a handful of uh, equity in it. Yep. Where do I start? The way
0: you would start is, um, you know, certainly there are calculators that you can find on the shredmethod.com page that will tell you exactly how fast you could be out of debt. Uh, we call it a savings analysis. Um But the first thing you would do, Matt, very simply is, and and candidly, every homeowner out there, everyone listening, if you own a home and you have equity, and you do not yet have a home equity line of credit, my question is, why? What are you waiting for? Go get one. Because if nothing else, this is liquidity that you have access to should you need it, right? The only way to pull money out of your, your home equity... Is either with a home equity line of credit or a cash out refinance, yep. and it makes zero sense to do a cash out refi now if your rate's going to bump up two, three, four percent. Yep. So even if the HELOC is at four and a half or five percent now, and your mortgage is at three percent, you're still going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars by doing this process. Yeah. So what I want you to do is go get a HELOC at a local bank, a local credit union. Um, in an ideal world, it's probably at the same place where you do your monthly checking. Because what we want is we want the simplicity of moving money back and forth. Mm-hmm. And the the amount you want varies. On the low end, it ought to be one and a half to two times what your monthly take-home pay is. So if you're making five grand a month after taxes, you want a HELOC that's somewhere between 7,500 and 10 grand. On the high end is whatever you can get, that's what you want to get, right? And the reason for that is, uh, Matty A is going to be talking about a syndication that he has coming up, and I'm riffing on this obviously. And and you know the opportunity is a hundred grand in for anybody that can stroke a hundred grand check. And the majority of people out there, Matt, I found, if they needed a hundred grand, they'd either go borrow it from the bank. Yep, they'd take a 401k loan, they'd liquidate some stock they had somewhere, um, or they'd get a group of investors together and each put ten grand in and let's participate. But but the people who are you know, the, the whole, the rich get richer. The reason they do is because they have access to wealth on a scale that the common folk don't. Yeah. And when I say common folk, I don't mean that denigratingly. I mean, like people who are, make, who are using common knowledge around banking and finance. When you flip this thing on its ear and you go, oh, wait, I've got a hundred grand or 200 grand or 500 grand in my home. And I can make 14% on this money and it's largely risk mitigated. And I and I'm hoping to make eight percent in the S and P 500 index. It sort of begs the logic, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. So you got this arbitrage and basically delta on what you're it at, what you're earning on it as you deploy it, right? Right. Now, for most people, they may say, "Well, how? how what is that? Is there a payment tied to that? What do I? What do I do with that HELOC lock yeah. while I've pulled down on it?"
0: So you're going to love this because this is the magic in it, right? Your All of your income, all of it, W-2 income, rental income, any kind of other extra income you're making, all gets plowed back into the HELOC. So every month, it's, it's going down, 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 down. And we're going to pay expenses out of it. So as it goes down, we're going to go up a little bit. And then it goes down, and then it goes up, and then it goes down more. goes up a little bit, goes down a lot more. And before you know it, we started out with $100,000 borrowed against it. And within maybe a few months or weeks in some people's incomes category, um, we're back down to 60 or 50 or 40. And the software that powers the shred method will say, hey, it looks like you have a little extra money. Let's deploy that against a compound interest debt that you have to create more equity. And every time we create more equity, we can go back to the bank and say, hey, I owe less on this property now. Can I have a larger line of credit? So if we started out at 100, now we're at 150 and then we're at 200 and now the deals that we can play in get bigger and bigger and bigger. So this thing now you you mentioned it before this is crockpot finance, right? Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit of time to get there. But I have this theory. My wife and I had a theory when we were paying off our debt and even as we do things now. If you do for 2 years what most people won't do, you can do for the rest of your life what most people can't do. Okay? My wife and I and kids took a a one-month vacation to Europe in 2019. Lived in a villa off the coast of Sorrento, Italy. um, Had an amazing time. And I came back and doctors and lawyers and neighbors of mine were all like, oh, it must be nice. It must be nice being rich. I'm like, you people make more than I do. I'm just doing it differently. Yeah. And there's time freedom. And there's relationship freedom with my family. And we, because we did this for two years, we can do that. And I, I don't say this lightly. People who get into this and are are committed to the process, they can do this in a a matter of months. Now, when I say months, I mean like 12, 18, 24 months. But we can can orient your financial situation where your monthly expenses get lessened, the amount of money you make, keep, and grow gets bigger, and your freedom level eventually goes through the roof, just like our man Diego Corzo. Our man, Diego
1: Corso, exactly. So for, for the people that are like, okay, this sounds good. This sounds good, Adam. I, I need to know more about this. You know, obviously there's, there's a plan. There's, you know, discussions around how you execute on this. For those that want to have, you know, a little bit more discussion and or information on it, where is the best place for them to learn more about the SHRED method?
0: So I know, I know we're going to direct people through your site with a uh, backslash shred. Um, so we'll do that. I'm sure it'll be in show notes. Um, yep. But I'll tell you this, on the shred method page, we have a, uh, an evergreen webinar you can go through. And in about 25 minutes, it'll tell you more or less everything you need to know on how to do the system, on how it works and why it works and all of that. Um, when you register, if someone decides, hey, yeah, I want to do this. What you're joining is a community of people who are using Shred on a daily, weekly basis, monthly basis, to get out of debt, create equity, and build wealth long-term. So what I what I love about it is, literally, I, my team and I, we call ourselves Freedom Fighters because we're just leading this revolution uh, of people who want to play a little bit differently and use the bank's money against itself. So if you want to know more, by all means, <clears throat> check out the link uh, in the show notes go there, fill out a savings analysis. And if you're if you're so inclined and intrigued enough about it, set up a 20-minute call with us and we'll go through your numbers and literally give you in black and white, hey, here's what your numbers show. And again, for most people, they're like, how is this even possible? And um, we tell them, it's not magic, it's math. Yeah. Most people just aren't good at math. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would say most people just <laughs> suck at math. Yeah. So we'll be sure, guys, uh, to check that out at millionairemindcast um, in Adam's show notes. You know, again, one of the reasons that this podcast is made possible is because of people like you, Adam, is people who are sharing their wealth, their wisdom in terms that most people just don't know about or have access to. And so I just want to acknowledge you, brother, and all the cool work, one that you're doing right now that you've done in the past and all the lives that you've changed. And, you know, before we wrap up, I'm always curious on, I know you're always sharpening your own axe and pencil in terms of, you know, the financial future and obviously kind of what is going on in the world What are you seeing out there that you're either concerned about, that you're excited about, or that you just, you know, are paying close attention to when it comes to financial opportunities or threats?
0: Yeah. Boy, this is a great question, Um, particularly in light of everything going on in the world today. Yeah. I mean, I saw that, um, I saw someone describe this as... poly crisis. Like this is the first time in history we've had a poly crisis, which means there are multiple crises going on at the same time Mm. in the financial world. Um, so we're, we're really in uncharted territories here. And, um, so what, what's concerning me, Matt, in answer to that question has almost as much to do with the psychology of money as anything. Mm. And I'll explain that we are, we are, quickly going to a, a point in time where money will become no longer tangible, right? And even yep. already, the majority of people are paying with either a debit or credit card. Yep. They're using Apple Pay. They're using Venmo or Zelle or PayPal. Mm-hmm. When you get to that level, the money is abstract. Yeah. It's no longer tangible. So, so true. So when you hand over a $50 bill, there's a part of your brain that fires, that's a pain sensor. Like, I don't want to give over 50 bucks yet we will click one-click ship on Amazon for $47 and not think twice about it. So true. And and actually, a pleasure sensor in our brain fires when we hit that buy on Amazon because we're anxiously awaiting, like, oh, is the drone going to bring it to me? <laughs> <laughs> When's the Amazon guy coming, you know? And so um, as a result of that, I think the next generation of young people are not going to have... The understanding or the relationship to money that previous generations have had. And it's going to make them probably more risk prone. And I think they're going to be more bankruptcies, more foreclosures. I think it's a challenge. And I think part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing on the financial education side is we got to shake people and wake people up and say, yo, this is real. You can't overspend your income. You have to have a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. And the, only, the, re- the reason I'm most passionate about it is there are people out there every day, Matt, that are questioning, how am I going to pay for college for my kids? Mm-hmm. How, how am I going to afford retirement? How will I ever afford healthcare in the future? And I would love to see a time when we create scores of people that go into their 40s like, now the rest is a cakewalk, right? Yeah. We spent 20 years digging in, building a foundation, doing what we do well, and the rest of the, the 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 rest of my life is the best of my life because because of what I did early on. Yeah, um, I think that crypto and uh, you know all sorts of of uh, NFT projects are are going to be the future. And I'll tell you a real quick story. Mm, my tell son, me more, yeah, yeah, my my fourteen year old son called me. Um, I was out and about, and he was at home, and he's like, uh, Dad, I need to move like one hundred and fifty bucks from my checking account to my wallet, my virtual wallet. And I was like, well, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "Well, I need to buy some Ethereum. Uh, actually, it wasn't Ethereum. I think he was going by buy Solana, and he was going to trade Solana for Town Coin." And I go, I-, "I haven't even heard of Town Coin. What is that?" He goes, "Well, it's a, a play-to-earn game I'm in called Town Star. And I don't know if you're into P2E, the play-to-earn."
1: Yeah, yeah, area. I've heard of it. I- I- I'm not in it, but I've heard plenty of people.
0: Yeah. So he was introduced. Um, gets into this game, starts playing the game. And I go, well, what do you need 150 bucks? He goes, well, it's $120, but with gas fees and all that, it, it might be that much. So I want to be safe. And I go, what are you buying for $120? And he goes, I'm buying a wood mill, a sawmill um, that goes in the game of Townstar. And I go, well, okay, for what? And he goes, because I'm going to make money every single day when people bring their lumber to my sawmill to make their homes and whatever their businesses within Townstar. And I go, Davis, how much are we talking? He goes, I'll have 120 paid back in three months. So he'd done the math on it. He knows the ROI. He knows what he's getting into. And I go, what if the market crashes? And he goes, well, you know, I mean, it may take six months or whatever, but I'm still going to make money every single day. So he goes, you've told me this, Dad. This is massive passive permanent streams of income, right? I'm like, yeah, I have. And I'm all about like, hey, let's try it. I'll support this idea, right? Yep. So he buys a sawmill, puts it in Townstar. He's making a buck 50 a day, right? And he just goes in every morning for about 10 minutes and he massages whatever he has to do in that. He downloaded an app called Steppen and he goes out and rides his scooter and he gets some coin from Steppen, the, the app that's a play to earn type game. So this is the future. Yeah. When, when people are like, oh, NFTs are BS and you're just buying a JPEG, like, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it yet. Yeah this is the future and you are scoffing at the future. Like people who's like, the internet's not a thing. Yeah, it was like,
1: NFT conversations always remind me of the, you know, 1990s internet, yeah, right, type of, you know, person, right? Because it it may not make sense to people now. And NFTs, really, the JPEG piece is just how many people have been introduced to what NFTs are, but the possibilities of NFTs are limitless. I mean, and, and as smart money continues to get into this space and they understand how to tie it into their business model and serve their community and bring more value and take the digital value into physical, tangible, real world value, yes. it's it's going to blow up. Like I was talking with a friend the other day about a cool NFT project that they're working on. And he goes, yeah. I mean, it's not going to surprise me when you know, like Costco, a Costco membership is going to be an NFT. Like right. that sounds weird to people right now, and in you know five years time, it'll it'll literally just be the norm, right? Yeah. Like people people already somewhat understand. Hey, you've got an app iPhone, you've got an Apple Wallet you link up to your Apple wallet. And when you go to the store, you pull out your Apple wallet and you click whatever, you know, button or let's just call it an NFT. Your credit card is an NFT. You click whatever NFT you need to in order to pay for that particular, you know, transaction or, um, you know, exchange. And so I just think, you know, being open-minded to what these new forms and, and arenas and ecosystems of investment and opportunity look like, it's going to be very interesting for sure a lot, a lot of stuff that still needs to get ironed out, of course, but totally. you know there, there's a lot of smart people working on ironing those things out right now
0: it, it, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. smart people is an understatement to the folks that are out there doing like we probably if you dissected the brains of some of these people, <laughs> you'd be blown away by the neural <laughs> connections that these folks are doing, and I've got some really, really smart friends, they tell me things that are happening, I'm like, this boggles my mind yeah. And a, a good friend said, just be in acquisition mode. Yeah. Just be in acquisition mode. Don't worry about what the market does. And I've stopped looking at what's Bitcoin today. What mm-hmm. I pay more attention to is how many coins am I holding? And mm-hmm. do I have them in a cold storage wallet? Yeah. Because I think if they're on an exchange or they're on dangerous. something that's open, it's dangerous. Yeah. So i store and everything on Ledger. Um, but I'm buying and I'm buying, you know, I'm dollar cost averaging essentially into... Yeah crypto projects, with the intent that if if in the next 10 years you have somewhere between one and five Bitcoin, and you have 25 Ethereum tokens, and you have 100 Solana tokens, you're going to be sitting pretty.
1: Yeah. It's Don't still worry so about early. Seems, so yeah, early. So early. Again, going back to the crockpot mindset and just the learning along the way that you get to connect the dots. Yep. There's going to be way more failures early on you know, then, uh, I guess over the long-term timeline of this, but, but just by being in early connecting the dots along the way, you know, taking those failures as feedback on what it's going to lead you to the big ones that ultimately do find a way to stabilize and figure these things out and buffer out the rough edges. So I always love having these conversations, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, brother. And uh, for more people that want to know about you personally, individually, what's going on in your world, where can they find uh, more information to connect with you? Yeah. yeah, the best site
0: for me personally, uh, if you want info on Adam Carroll, it's simply at adamcarroll, two R's, two L's, dot info. And all my stuff is out there. So the the TED Talk, the uh, documentary project I've done, uh, certainly the Shred Method is out there. So check out adamcarroll.info for all things Adam. <phone rings>
1: Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth-building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back, and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to RichLifeAcademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools you can get that over at the RichLifeAcademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.